We're back in St. Joseph and Chiefs training camp where the team's newest member, cornerback Morris Claiborne, was introduced. You'll hear from Claiborne, who has to sit out the first four games this season for violation of the league's substance abuse policy. The A-team of Brooke Pryor, Sam Mellinger, and Vahe Gregorian have more Chiefs to discuss. And after a break, Vahe recounts his Sunday night at Sprint Center and the U.S. Gymnastics Championships, where Simone Biles soared to new heights. I mean, really new heights. All of this on Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star sports podcast sponsored by Big O Tires. I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff, and it's Monday, August 12th. The last time we saw each other, um, it was dark, and not just outside. It was dark inside the press box. They, they call this A-team after dark, and we do it after a night game. <laughs> it was literally true. A-team, it wasn't. It was A-team in the dark. A-team. Well, and then after you guys left, I stuck around to still transcribe, and then the inside stadium lights went out, and I was transcribing by light of popcorn machine. Which is either a high point or a low point for me. I'm not quite sure which one. What, what time? What time did the lights? One eighteen. Yes. One eighteen. The lights inside the press box went out. We were just finishing up the Facebook Live after the Chiefs Bengals game. <laughs> we were in the middle of Beth Welsh's breakdown and putting all that equipment away, which made it oh breakdown so much fun. Of the equipment. Of, of, of the equipment. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's an yes, important thank, clarification. Thank you. It was a late night, though, so I felt we were all close down. to a breakdown. <laughs> well, my, my favorite camaraderie of the, of the evening was us all pointing our cell phone lights to, to help each other make our way out. You know, it's funny. I, I, we've been there later and, mm-hmm. and not had the, the lights lights go down. I, I don't know. I, I thought we might get the courtesy flicker. Oh, you know? no. They're just uh, out. But, just, you're and, done. And as, as Brooke and I found out today, the Chiefs knew nothing about it. And until this morning. Yes. And then they are working on next night kick. Hopefully the lights will go out off at 3 a.m. So we have until 3 a.m. to do whatever you need to do. And then, <laughs> as Brad G. likes to say, you can't go home, but you can't stay here. Or you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. He yeah. does say that a lot. That, that's his lunch. He does. He's, yeah. I think he's kind of he's made trying, it a shtick. He's right? trying to make it yeah. his thing. Yeah. I think, he, I think he can't wait to say it, too. He yeah. just He, just he can't. And it's actually quite pleasant. When he <laughs> says Don't encourage it. him. We know he listens to this. He's going to be emboldened now to say it every single day. Smiling assassin. <laughs> All right. So so this would be the uh, the Chiefs after afterthoughts, since we provided the afterthoughts on, on Sunday morning. And now it's Monday afternoon. And I, I don't know... Uh, no, no real new development. The only injury that injury news was uh, Demontre Wade uh, had a knee contusion, didn't practice today. But one thing we did uh, find out is uh, Morris Claiborne is in town. He was at practice today. He stood on the sideline for uh, for most of the first half of practice, but then we saw him on the field. And was mm-hmm. it seven on seven, seven drills? On seven, yep. So we're in number twenty, the Stephen Nelson number twenty. For uh, for the Chiefs, let's before we talk about Morris Claiborne, let, let's hear from him. He met the media today after practice. Right now, it's not about money for me. You know, right now, you know, it's it's about going out playing football, and you know, um, I put myself in, in in a situation this off season where, you know, I feel like I put myself in a hard, tough situation for myself and for owners and teams and. You know, my agents, you know, to be able to negotiate, I put all of us in a tough situation. 
and you know and I own up to everything I do I'm a I'm a grown man and you know I can't do nothing about this that situation you know I'm I'm sorry it happened you know stuff like that but you know I can't do nothing about it. I can only I can only move on right now but like I said this is my job this is what I do I play football and at the end of the day you know this is how I feed my family you know playing this game so you can say it's about the money because you want to get paid but you know ultimately I just want to go out and I want to play football you know and and just go do what I do. Timing-wise, how did it work more, guys. The, during the offseason? What did you find out you were going to be suspended? And, you know, how, how was the timing of that? How was it agonizing to you knew before and you were just kind of having to wait it out? Um, I, I didn't I didn't know I didn't know that I, I was I, I would be suspended. You know, I didn't know that um, at all. So, it, you know, it was new to me just as well as, you know, everybody else. Um, but, you know, like I said, when it when it once it came out, you know, you had, I had just had a lot of explaining to do, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so what were those conversations like with Mr. Hunt? I mean, they, they, they was like that. They know what I was going through, and they wanted to help me through it. And, you know, and that was part of a reason that really, you know, made my mind up as I want to come here because I could see that, you know, these guys not only care about me as a football player, but they care about me as a man and as a person. What are your plans for those four weeks that you can't play to start the season? Work. You know, um, you just Kansas try to. Yes, if, if I'm able to stay here, you know, I, I don't know what the rules are just yet on on everything or how that works. But you know, if I, if I'm able to be here, you know, I plan on being here every single day and doing everything that I can do here, you know, to for when that time comes for me to step on the field to to give myself the best opportunity to be ready. How much more important is being here for training camp and getting working with team drills, knowing that you'll miss those first four weeks? Um, it's very important. You know, that's why I'm so locked in right now. Um, and I know it's it's you got to try to be smart at the same time as try to get your work in and stuff like that because you want to be available when that time comes and and you know not playing football for this long and coming out. You know, it's easy to to deal with injuries and stuff like that. So you know, I'm just working with the training staff closely, working with the coaches. You know doing what they allow me to do and, and, and try to push myself each and every day further. All right, Brooke, you, uh, you're going to write the story on Morris Claiborne, or are writing the story. I, don't, I never know which tense verb to use here. I have written 176 <laughs> words of it to the dot. And I believe we, the, I think we established last week when you got to 250 that that's not a story. No, so <laughs> yeah. 176 is just, a, is just a brief thought that has been put to, I was going to say pen to paper, but uh, has been... Conveyed on my computer screen. I, I thought um, he owned up to you know to mm-hmm. his suspension and ta- and talked about it. I thought it was good. And and I liked what he said about the reason that he chose the Chiefs is because they were aware of what was going on and they wanted to help him through it. And that was a big reason why he chose Kansas City. Yes, that yes, they're you know playoff contenders, Super Bowl contenders. He wants to play in the postseason, but in conversations he had with Clark Hunt. The Chiefs knew of his suspension. They knew of the things he was dealing with, and they wanted to give him the resources to help him through that. Um, and so now, I mean, I, I think that this training camp is incredibly important for him, knowing that for the first four weeks, I think what he can't be around the team. Not only can he not play in the games, but he can't practice either. So he's got to get in and stay as healthy as possible while also getting in as much teamwork as possible before he goes off. And he said he'd like to stay training in Kansas City, um, if that's an option. Otherwise, I mean, wherever he is, he's going to be working out, but it's not the same as, as being in team drills. He can he can practice and he can play in the preseason games, but mm-hmm. Andy Reid said he wasn't going to play at Pittsburgh Correct. On, on Saturday. We saw Saturday night, 
at least when the first team defense was on the field for the for the first drive by the Bengals, cornerback remains something of a position of interest for for the Chiefs. And I would imagine we, we would agree that who knows whether an, a 29 year old Mo Claiborne is going to be an upgrade, but you kind of want to see him right when he's when we finally can see him, which is in Week Five. He's what they need. Uh, I mean, he's an experienced guy, and we talked about this, but like. Players that are available on August twelfth are available for a reason. You know, um, you know, you're, you're not going to go out there and, and, and get a star at this point. Um, he's played the position. Um, he's played it solidly at times. Uh, certainly hasn't lived up to being the, the number six pick in the 2012 draft, 13, something like that. But experienced guy. He uses his body. Gets a little grabby at times. At least that's his reputation. But. Um, you know, they, if you just collect numbers and then, you know, they've got – there's a clear top four, right? Fuller, Bashad Breeland, Shervarius Ward, and now Mo Claiborne. And then they've got some developmental guys. And if you get one or two of those guys to click, you know, maybe maybe you have something. I still – I don't know that I'd bet on it, but I, I'd bet on this. I know they're going to look for another body, look for, you know, probably somebody more in the, in the, the profile of Shervarius Ward last year, a younger guy. Um, you know, that a team would be dealing from a position Mm -hmm. of strength, something like that. I think CBS had projected that the Chiefs would make a trade, a 2020 draft pick for Josh Norman. Does that seem – that's not exactly in the Charverius Ward model mode, but what what would you think about that possibility? Uh, Not going to (laughs) happen. Ain't uh, happening. All right. Well, sorry, CBS. Thank you for playing. And next. Uh, He's 31, 32. Something like that. It's not 2015 yeah. anymore. Uh, he makes a big number, um, and you know, unless you know, you, you can get somebody to eat the contract. Like, you know, they're they're going to be squeezed enough with, you know, they got to get Chris Jones, um, Tyreek Hill. You know, they they got some contracts to get to get done if they can this year. Maybe a quarterback if they want to keep him. They do have a good one. <laughs> Who? Chad Henney. Can, can I can I go back to something really irrelevant but that intrigues me? Your use of the word grabby. Who is the grabbiest player you ever saw? Because I have somebody very specific in mind. Quite hmm. recent. Orlando Scandrick is just in Kansas. my head right Is that what you call him? I've never seen anybody like him. Yeah. The clutch <laughs> and grab. And I, it, I bring it up also because here we are coming off, you know, still in shell shock from the, uh, all the officiating, um, the replay stuff the other night. And the, gra- the grabby guys are going to slow these games down. Yeah. So I'm concerned about that um, when it comes to Claves. I'm sorry, a, what are you calling him now? I knew a guy named Mike Claves. Claves, okay. Uh, all, right, all right, just, just want to make sure yeah. Yeah. we were all just aware. To, you know, assume a little Claves. familiarity. Yeah, you guys yeah. are best friends now. Well, before there's a, like a full-blown panic on the corner, cornerbacks here, let's, let's revisit Saturday night and give a lot of credit to Andy Dalton, and I can't even tell you who the receiver was, who made the play over... Charverius Ward down the was it the right sideline? Right sideline yeah. It was a great throw and a great catch. Yep. It just was, mm-hmm. and I, I think most cornerbacks would not have made a play there. And and Andy Reid told us today that Rashard Breland wasn't responsible for mm-hmm. for the, uh, the, the 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 pass that he ended up breaking up the right. underthrown ball that where it looked like he was beat. And Andy Reid said that wasn't Breland. 
You, you suggest, like he was expecting yeah. safety help. Yeah, yeah. What, one, of, one of you suggested that in the in the, the Facebook Live podcast the other night that that, that could have been the case. Um, he still doesn't get to wave his arms like he did, acting like he really broke up the play, though. <laughs> but I enjoy it so much every time. No. I will never be mad at that. I think that... <laughs> Sean, Sean Smith turned me on that. There's such joy. Whether or not you had anything to do with that pass being incomplete, you celebrate like you did. But good, but good point, Blair, anyway. That's, yeah. I think it takes him off the hook a little bit, and you just want to sure. see more mm-hmm. see more mm-hmm. from him. Well, and today we saw Bashad Breeland have two interceptions. One, both off Patrick Mahomes, one in seven on seven, one in 11 on 11. Um, I think the pass was intended for Watkins, I believe. Um, it was on the seventh play of the final team period. And so that, I mean, and it was a good pick. I think that obviously they need more of that. But this, to me, felt like the best practice that Bashad Breland has had all camp. We'll go back to a broader point, too, if you don't mind. So he, Andy brings up that it was – I guess, for lack of a better term, a miscommunication. We're going to have some of that right in a new system, but but it it is that's its own point of you know concern, just mm-hmm. because you know we saw plenty of things attributed to lack of communication last year. I don't know who was I don't know who was deep there. Was it Sorensen or or was it Armani, was, was Armani Watts was on the other side of the field? It wasn't even yeah. Like, there wasn't a body behind. There wasn't yeah. anybody right. back there. But who was supposed to be down? I couldn't. Yeah, so far the picture couldn't tell. Well, it was a mix of the ones and the twos. Well, I think that was the the the, the, you mean anything after the second play? Correct. Correct. So I think it was like the sixth or seventh play. Yeah, 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 it was. It was early. Fumble. (laughs) Take the starters out. Well, look who came out after that play after the second Bengal after the second snap of the game, right? Because the Bengals had the ball first. After that play, which was the fumble. That was overturned, and, and, and the Bengals kept the ball. Chris Jones came out, Anthony Hitchens, Taran Matthew, Damian Wilson. So the snap counts were out the, today, mm-hmm. and we found out the, those guys played two snaps each. Uh, on offense, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey played one snap. Uh, Sammy Watkins played two snaps. Chad Henney was in for five, and the starting <laughs> offensive line played eight snaps. So the, first, the first, I guess, drive. the first drive, right? So... <laughs> Andy Reid, he, you know, starters play the first quarter. No, they, they didn't finish the first series, basically, for, for some of them. But I thought that was, it turns out, that that's the good move, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Isn't that the right, wasn't that the right thing to do? I thought you were joking the other night when you said you gave the coaching staff an A for getting the guys out of there on your report card. But actually, in living color, that's how you had it. Yeah, I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm convincing myself that that was the that was the right move to make. I wouldn't be mad if they just put him in street clothes, like just put Patrick Mahomes in mm-hmm. a hoodie and let him watch and give him a little earpiece so he can listen in or whatever. I, who cares? I think for the offense, yeah, sit him as early as you want, don't play him at all. I think the defense though needs more than one or two snaps for the starters. When you consider the fact that they're they're new guys with Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark and Damian Wilson. Um, but it's also a new scheme for everybody. Yeah. So why would you not want to work out more of the kinks when it doesn't matter versus, I mean, I get you don't want to injure, you, you don't want to risk injury, you don't, uh, or and then you want to get some of the younger guys' experience and get them fitted in. But unless they're way ahead of schedule in training camp practices, which they may be for how the defensive coaching staff measures things, I would want to see more communication, more more opportunities to have communication so that you don't have mess-ups like what happened with Breland and, and thinking he had safety help, so that doesn't happen when it matters. 
you know, offensively, how much do you think these guys need to play together to be game ready? One quarter, the entire preseason? I think they've got it, honestly. I mean, just, Look at the first play. Yeah. Look at that. I mean, how, <laughs> I know. that was, that was they got it. <laughs> brilliant. I mean, that's, they're, not, they're not five quarterbacks that make that throw. And, and a tight end that gets gets there, you know, yeah. that was that was just a fantastic play. Yeah. Uh, I'd say, yeah, they're ready. McCall Hardman could use, you know, I mean, it's just a rookie. Andy Reid yeah. is a tough coach to play for as a rookie receiver. Yeah, there's just a lot yeah. going on in the offense, so he could use some stuff, and maybe it benefits him if he has those snaps with the other ones around him. But I don't think it's worth using the other ones. Yeah, and I guess that's what I mean, more of the sort of the, the broad sense of it. I I, obviously, the younger guys, guys need some, but... You know, if, if if the season opener was was this Sunday instead of September, was it 8th, um, I would assume that the Chiefs are going to score 30-plus points. Yeah. Just, <laughs> <laughs> McCole Hartman had 26 snaps, the most on offense, uh, Dion Yelder with 41. I yeah. thought, yep, that, that makes sense. Yeah. You know? on, on defense, Armani Watts had the most snaps with 50, and I think they want to get also more of a look of, of Armani Watts after mm-hmm. missing most of last season. They were encouraged by him right before the injury. They thought it was starting to, starting to take traction a little bit. Mm-hmm. So. Also, with a lot of snaps on the defensive side, uh, Tano Passigno and Breland Speaks each had 39. And tell you what, the more Tano plays, the more, the better he looks. And today he was inside and outside with That's the right. first team, so, um, which I thought was interesting. And he talked about he likes being able to go inside. Um, and he hmm. likes, I think, playing outside too. I think he feels way more comfortable with his hand in the dirt. Um, he said that after the game. I just think that he's a guy that has benefited the most out of – everyone on that defense, um, finding a role for him and finding a way to really carve out a space in this defense by doing a little bit of everything. Um, I think it's working out well for him. Well, it's the last week of training camp in St. Joe. Uh, It does continue at uh, at Arrowhead after the training facility at Arrowhead after this weekend. But it's the last week in St. Joe, and that always means one thing. Football section deadline is approaching. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure where you were going. We already had Zarda Day. So. <laughs> it seems like it comes earlier and earlier every year. But all you guys are writing what I can't wait to read, uh, stories for the football section. Give me the give me the, the Cliff Notes version of one of the stories that you're going to write for the football section. Vahe, start with you. Um, the main thing I'm working on is, is – Mahomes beyond the arm, all the things that kind of animate what, what, what the arm can do. Mostly this is through the lens of, of people he grew up with, his strength coach, personal trainer, I should call him really, since fourth grade, his best friend's father, uh, his high school coach, and his seventh grade English teacher, <laughs> who, um, who was a very, a very sweet woman, um, whose daughter Patrick has heard from since I was, I was down there. Um, Anyway, I, I, I won't go on and on about it, but uh, it, I, I feel like I really enjoyed hearing um, what all these people had to say, and it, it seems new, newish to me, so hopefully that will uh, come across that way and however I concoct it. Look forward to reading it. Brooke? Um, one of the stories I'm working on is on how Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes' relationship is different than the prototypical coach-quarterback relationship. Um, the idea that Patrick just gives Andy this extra bounce in his step. Uh, as Dustin Colquitt said, he said that you can just tell by his body language. And I said, how do you mean? And he said, well, it's not that he's 
outwardly smiling, but he's he's just got this inner beam that he's just you can see his inner beam. And I was like, <laughs> sure, okay, uh, I don't, I don't, sure. Um, but I think nothing. My favorite anecdote about how the relationship is different and how Patrick is affecting Andy. Patrick told us today when we talked with him, and we know that Andy Reid is kind of a mad genius when it comes to offensive plays. He scribbles them down on napkins. on, But it's, he particularly likes to scribble it down on note cards that he keeps in his pocket. And Patrick said that in their quarterbacks meeting, sometimes Andy Reid will bust in with uh, two note cards, and he'll just go up in the, in the middle of the room and just start talking about a play. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, I can't, can't get it away. I can't, can't give it all away now. But uh, just, just a little taste. Just wanted to see if uh, – just want to see what you guys would think. And then he'll leave. And I don't think that that happens with everybody because not everybody has a muse like Andy Reid has in Patrick Mahomes. So uh, in the Patrick Mahomes section here, Sam, <laughs> what, uh, what are you going to write? We have written about just about every moment of Patrick Mahomes' life. <laughs> uh, pretty crazy. But uh, we have not written much about the first major decision that a pro athlete makes and one of the biggest decisions that they make in their career, which is the choice of agent. And Patrick made an interesting choice going with an agency uh, founded by Lee Steinberg, maybe the most famous football agent, you know, in, in the sports history, uh, especially when it comes to quarterbacks. Uh, and, and you know, really the, the juice behind that place now is a guy named Chris Cabot. And so the, um, the, the idea is to go through that decision how it was presented to him and see what we can find out or learn about Patrick's priorities and personality in, in making that decision over. I mean, he could have gone with anybody. He wasn't the number one quarterback in that draft, obviously. Um, he, he was the second quarterback selected, but um, he, he could have gone anywhere. So why did he pick those guys? That'd be great. Blair, what about you? What are you writing? Well, it'll have a Patrick Mahomes element. There we go. I'm in. I'm sold. Can't wait. The way the Chiefs lost the AFC Championship game was so heartbreaking for for the home fans, for the home team, that it was difficult to explore at the moment some of the things that happened in that game that were beyond anything I had ever seen in a Chiefs game, including – what I think is the, the most clutch field goal in the history of the organization that sent it into overtime. There are a couple other little things like that that had the Chiefs won the game, it would have been part of this narrative that we, we talk about even today. I remember where you were when you saw this happen. Mm-hmm. We don't get to talk about those things because the Chiefs lost a coin flip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not just the game. And D. Ford was offside. So I'm, I went back and talked to a few players, including Patrick Mahomes, uh, about the game and maybe some of the underappreciated aspects of the AFC Championship game. Hey, it's a bit of a loser's lament, but I just think it's a game that shouldn't be forgotten. It was the most important home game in Chiefs history and the biggest game they've played in 50 years, and people couldn't wait to forget about it. You know, I think you're going to get into this in the story because you were telling me a little bit about it before, but it, it is it is interesting to think about where this will rank in the context of the 1971 Dolphins loss, if, it, if it's going to have that kind of historic resonance. And, and, and that game certainly does. People talk, you know, for years talked about Ed Podolak's, you know, uh, performance in that game and Stenerud hitting field goals and then missing one that could have won it. Every, 
older Chiefs fans can kind of quote that game chapter and verse where they were. You know, it was it was a Christmas Day game. There were so many started in day and ended in night. It was I remember watching that game as a kid at home in North Carolina. Um, it's still theoretically, this is kind of funny, the longest game in NFL history, which is like an hour shorter than most NFL games today. But <laughs> just based on the, the clock time. Right? <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, thanks a lot. And we're going to take a break for this subscription offer. And when we return, Vahe and I will talk about perhaps one of the greatest individual sporting feats performed in Kansas City. Stick around. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Here we go. Right off the bat. The very first tumbling pass. Triple twisting, double back. (laughs) Money! Just keep making history, Simone Biles. All right, Vahe. Sunday night, Sprint Center. You were there, and so was Simone Biles. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I'll tell you what I, I watched it on TV uh, with uh, with Karen and and we saw you on TV in the background. I was I was flabbergasted with uh, with what Simone Biles did, and I you know he teased it before the break. Has has any individual accomplished a, a feat, an athletic feat? Um, I don't know more significant than what Simone Biles did. Nobody had ever. Nobody had ever done what she had done in her sport until Sunday night. Yeah. And look, it's a good question. I mean, I guess you have to think the context, and I think you framed it the right way, uh, the sheer athleticism of doing that. And I guess one of the ways you could um, measure that is, could anyone else do it? <laughs> right, right. And I mean, it's Well, it's never been done. And let me, before we go on, it was a triple-double, two flips and three full twists. Yes. It had never been done. And we were talking a little while ago about the height. As I understand it, this is courtesy of our friend of the star, Nancy Armour. She um, observed that that she got up above the boom mic there. (laughs) And I think the way Nancy wrote it, that would be the height of an SUV flipped on its tail. Um, (laughs) Standing up on its tail. Standing up on its tail. And this is, you know, just a human being. (laughs) A four foot nine human being. So, Blair, you know, we've, we've been at a number of events together and, and separately that have you know, sort of defied belief, and you seldom have any impulse to, you know, sort of get up out of your seat. I, I've been a couple places. Uh, I was at that Colorado-Michigan game, um, the Cordell Stewart. Cordell Stewart? Yeah, yeah, at, at Ann Arbor. Yeah, and, you know, you found yourself getting up. I was at the, the Tyus Edney-Missouri game. I, I was at the other end of the court, and your body just gravitated up. 
while other Missouri fans were slumping. Well, yeah, because you just wanted to see, right? Yeah, but you're soon to be the slump for Missouri fans. And, of course, we can we can both remember well our, our dear friends, Therese and, and Sam, falling out of their seats on one of Patrick Mahomes' uh, first sensational passes at Denver. But last night was one of those nights where you, you sort of had that impulse to, to stand and and – you know, you don't. It's our, not really our job to do that. But 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 you realize you, you saw something historic and and sort of a new frontier, right? And I think that's kind of the neat thing, and especially neat in a lot of ways because she's already done so much. Oh, yeah. Um, she and most, she's the most accomplished gymnast of all time. She is. And I guess we can, you know, bicker or dicker, whatever the word would be, about whether that makes her the greatest gymnast ever. I, I feel like it's just basically factual that she's the greatest ever. When you draw up, just pull up the resume itself, the sheer numbers, but also now doing the unprecedented. In fact, as I understand it, even her trying that is the first. She tried it Friday and didn't didn't land it. And right, didn't land it. Um, had to had to put her hand down to catch herself yeah. and was mad at herself. Yes, uh, for, for that she yes. was upset, um, and I, I think she probably used some of that emotion on. On Sunday. Yeah, I think so. In fact, she used the term, she was doing angry gymnastics after that on on, <laughs> on, on Friday. And it, that came up in the context of sort of what happens. And, and you know, you, you can certainly understand this to a degree. I, we're always amazed at athletes who can compartmentalize this stuff. And yet, just the same, if you sort of hit your first, the way she was on the beam first, and I think felt really good about it. Um, well, she did something. And she did the double double off the beam. Yes, That's right. Something so else felt, that nobody had, had ever done in gymnastics: the the double, two flips, two twists, never done in competition. Dismount. And so that she said certainly carried her through to a good feeling. It was not angry gymnastics uh, last night, and it was kind of fun to see. There was a um, you might find it on Twitter. I, I, I if you just look up her reaction coming off the off the bars. She is just making this kind of goofy, celebratory thing that I can't even describe. But it was sort of the polar opposite of the other end of the spectrum that, that we saw. If I'm not using too many cliches there, <laughs> um, the, on Wednesday when when it was sort of raw and and, and still fury over um, the negligence and and in fact the monstrous behavior of uh, Larry Nasser, all that. And this was the other end of that. I asked her last night if if her joy had anything to do with sort of what she was carrying into this when that started. And she, she said, no, it was really more about the, the joy of the accomplishment versus the anger of the other night. Big credit to her to compartmentalize that. To, Absolutely. To, to put this aside and to, uh, and to give her full self to the competition last night. I, you know, I, I guess I'm like other, a lot of people. I'm a gymnastics fan during the Olympics, right? And, uh, that's that's when it's at its height of popularity every every four years. And I remember the, you know, the Americans winning in Rio, uh, and her was she she had the four gold medals. But I also go back. I remember in 1972 when Olga Corbett flipped off the bar on the uneven bars, and nobody had ever seen anything like that. And kind of put gymnastics until that time. Gymnastics was a sport for older women, and it was uh, you know Russian women in their twenties and thirties. And all of a sudden, this fresh-faced young Olga Corbett flips off the bar, and it's just wild. And four years later, Nadia Comaneci becomes the first person to score a perfect ten in gymnastics. And so, 
and, and then Mary Lou Retton and others, Carrie Shrub. We've had all these gymnast, gymnasts over the years, like every four years. But this isn't an Olympic year. And this happened, uh, you know, in Sprint Center, uh, you know, in, in our backyard, three blocks from our, two blocks from our office. And I thought that was pretty cool, uh, really cool. It, it was. And, and something I'm not sure that uh, the, the right way to go about this, but in some form or another, I think we want to um, acknowledge the, the crowd. I mean, the crowd was... Absolutely. I was going to ask you about that next. The crowd, you know, it was more than 12,000 last night, and that led to uh, the combined uh, four-day crowd to being over more than 33,000, which was a record for this event. Now, this event being in non-Olympic years, the trials do better, as you might expect. But think about that as as uh, both, I, I think, a nice um, nice statement about how people are... are staying attuned to gymnastics and especially after what it's been through, but also heck a nice, nice statement about, about Kansas city probably helped in some ways. There were three local young ladies that were involved, but I think the star power of Simone is, is also the thing. It was neat in the crowd though. It was a lot of young girls. Um, I saw that on TV. Yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of them would come race down to the bottom to, to slap hands with the with the gymnasts as yes. they were walking. You had a good angle on that where you were sitting. I, I did. It was kind of fun. And, and in fact, even uh, leaving later, there were hundreds out there waiting. And, and a lot of the gymnasts were coming through out there and just spending time with them. And this was sort of a side point and no names uh, to protect the innocent. But I, I'm, I'm told the beer lines were really short because of the makeup of the crowd. <laughs> well, good for Kansas City to to help set an attendance record. Congratulations to Kathy Nelson and the Kansas City Sports Commission that bid for this event, landed it. And, um, and, and even through all the troubles that the sport has had, there seemed to be a four-night celebration of, of the sport in Kansas City. I, I think that's right. And I think also that's another thing that's interesting, and, and you just made me think of this. You know, the trials will be in St. Louis next year, and I, I had a chance to see Frank Viverito, our friend from the St. Louis Sports Commission, the other night. And one of the points he was making it, and, and is what you just said, that you know Kansas City going ahead and wanting to bid on this and being part of this during, during a hard time, and, and also St. Louis doing that. I mean, I... There may have been fewer bids than usual on this, and hats off to uh, to both cities for, for saying we're, we'll be part of the solution. Very good. All right, Vahe, thanks a lot. Thanks, Blair. You can find links to the stories we discussed in the show notes on KansasCity.com, Facebook.com slash Red Zone Extra, and the Red Zone Extra app. You can also find these stories in the print editions of the Kansas City Star. We talked about the stories we're writing for the football section, Those will be available soon on KansasCity.com and in the August 25th editions of the Kansas City Star. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, help us out by rating and reviewing Sportsbeat KC. We'd love to hear from you, and your review can help us reach more listeners. Thanks to producers Kathy Liu and Leah Becerra, and thanks to our sponsor, Big O Tires. This has been Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's sports podcast. We'll be back tomorrow to talk sports in Kansas City.